Authentic Life with Josiah Ball. Wow. Okay, guys. So today's episode was just so impactful to me, um, and I hope it is to you. There's, you know, for the past two, three years, I've been you know, wrestling and challenging myself to be more quiet. And uh, if you anybody knows me, I'm the most extroverted person ever. I love hanging out with people and I rarely find times for solitude and silence before the Lord. And I've been studying whatever I can to uh, help me develop the tools and uh, to, to be able to do that better in my life. And one of those tools was a book called Beholding by Strawn Coleman. I posted about it. He DM'd me uh, that he was excited I was reading it. We got talking, and I invited him to come on the podcast and talk more about it. So you're going to be blessed by this episode. Uh, please share this episode and uh, get it out to anybody who's longing to deepen their relationship with God because this is going to totally hijack your life, and you're going to want to you're going to listen to this. You're going to want to turn it off after, and you're going to want to be in your prayer closet. You're going to want to go and tune yourself into God uh, right then and there. So please enjoy this episode with Strawn Coleman. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Your Authentic Life podcast. Uh, today, I have a real special guest with us. He is an author, a musician, a folk artist, um, has three prayer volumes, three prayer volumes in his recent book uh, that came out this year, Beholding deepening our experience in God. We have Strawn Coleman, uh, also just goes by Strawn with his music. So welcome to the podcast, Strawn. Kia ora, my friend. Thank you very much. It's a, a gift to be here with you today. Thanks for yeah, having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored that you are here with us and uh, uh, tuning in to tell us a little bit about your journey, this book, and what, what you're doing now and stuff. And uh, you're, you also founded Commoners Communion. Is that correct? Yeah. Back in 2017? Yeah, yeah, so Commoners Communion um, is sort of the moniker for, uh, you know, I'd been in music for years and years, and it felt this transition happening in my life, and I didn't really know how to fully explore it. So I created this ministry, I guess you could call it Commoners Communion, where I just explored um, Christian spirituality and yeah. prayer, and I guess the mystery of God and the art of God, and had thought you know, maybe I'll do a podcast and have a bit of fun. And it's just ended up becoming this sort of big part of my life, which I'm I'm deeply grateful for. So mm. I kind of feel like everything sprung out of this happy accident back in 2016 or whenever it was. And, yeah. and that's what Commoners Communion is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always seeing people post on their stories, some of like the quotes and stuff you have on your Instagram. And I was like, Amazing. what is this? And this is how I found out about your book and, you know, you know, digged into your music right. and listened in and some of your stuff. And I was like, wow. I was like, I have to get my hands on this book, um, Beholding and just finished it the other day, as I was saying uh, to you and mm. beautifully, beautifully written. Um, and uh, yeah, what, how long did it take you to write this book? So I began, I mean, again, <laughs> the book is kind of another happy accident, uh, yeah. the result of, you know, the global pandemic that happened. Mm -hmm. And remember that time the whole world just shut down? I mean, I still find yeah. it totally crazy when I think right. about it, um, that I lived through that. But um, yeah, back in 2020, I, I mean, I lost everything in the, in the lockdowns. In New Zealand, it was even worse than the States, we we closed our borders mm. for two years, you know, so no right. one was in or out for that long. 
um, and all my work had been traveling and, and things. So I sat down to write this book and um, it wasn't, I actually sat down to write an essay, two essays, um, basically a manifesto for communist communion and my prayer mm. books and my, you know, my expression of, of God and art. And so it took me, I think the initial thing just took me like a month or two. I just pounded out some words, you know, it wasn't a whole book. Yeah. Um, then it kind of accidentally got sent, you know, got got sort of sent around and then landed in a publisher's hands. And they were like, can you, you know, do you want to make, write a book? And I thought, okay, I'll add to it. <laughs> and the whole process after that probably took another nine or 10 months. So it probably took me a year and a half to write. But when wow. I started it, I wasn't really, um, I wasn't really writing very intently. I was just enjoying it. Was, it was like prayer for me. Just it was an expression, something I needed to do. So yeah, I, don't, I can't remember how much of that I was actually writing, but that's sort of the length of the process from from beginning to end. I think. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's just amazing how those things happen. So, um, mm. yeah, crazy. So, th- tell us a little bit about your background. I know in the book you talk about your charismatic background and kind of going into this. Um, you know, life of so- solitude, prayer, silence, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which is, mm-hmm. I-, I wouldn't say not, not fully not charismatic, but it's not as yeah. seen as much in the charismatic streams. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, eh? Because, you know, when you're talking about both are just a deep experience of God and, right. and the charismatic, like the, the definition of the charismatic is a desire and passion for the very real experience of God in our lives today. Yeah. Um, and yet you're so right. I mean, to me, like when I made this transition, I was gone from this very charismatic, you know, speaking in tongues, long intercessory prayers, you know, sometimes whole days of spoken mm-hmm. intercessory prayers of people, um, you know, energy and output to slamming into a wall of chronic sickness, spending mm-hmm. years sort of pushing myself out to a Franciscan retreat center, sitting in silence and solitude i mean it was for me it was like a total remap of my life and it felt like i was just evaporated from my charismatic life and yet um in that silence and solitude i began to have these very rich deep experiences of god that that i wouldn't say fit my charismatic model they were they were so ordinary so um ingrained and implanted in my body and in my life that yeah. I I just began to I began to change and I guess my expectation of or what I mean when I say experiencing God changed and so the book beholding kind of tells the story of me almost being forced into this beautiful rhythm of rest which is totally the antithesis of my personality yeah <laughs> and uh and discovering this being with God that is is deeply experiential but um but in a way that is profoundly different to what I think was my expectation of sort of outer body experiences of God or sort of extraordinary experiences of God. It was God meeting me in my body and my life. And, um, and I just, just, I rediscovered prayer. It was a gift to me Mm. actually in the end. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, I still am very charismatic, you know, speaking in tongues Mm -hmm. and grew up, grew up in the church. Um, yeah, like that. And my parents raised me like that. And, um, mm-hmm. been in churches like that, but recently in the past two years, I've been really diving into my, one of my best friends. He was, um, uh, it, what it's called the CEC charismatic Episcopalian church. And okay. it's kind of like the best of the best of the both worlds, like a little bit yeah, of the Episcopalian like and charismatic. And he's been that since mm-hmm. we went to college together. 
and uh now he's he's um anglican <clears throat> at a church down in uh north carolina and mm-hmm. he's been showing me like you know the book of common prayer and like these different things mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. trying to put that into like practice and i'm like i'm experiencing god in a different way in the same way you just said i'm like yep. i'm not my personality is like okay what's the next thing we can do who can we hang out with and taking those times to mm. you know experience god just me and him has been like it's been a challenge at the yeah. same time like i feel like this is needed in my life to just slow down without ruining yeah. my personality um but still having those moments of just silence mm. is becoming yeah. more essential to me Totally, man. And I, I think there's an element of that that's not even like, quote unquote, religious in the sense that right. we just live, we are living a life now that humans weren't initially created to live and that humans mm. have never lived. This right. high octane, busy, noisy, hyper connected, hyper accessible, rich life that we live, you know, materially rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's an element for me that a lot of what we call, quote unquote, religious or spiritual disciplines are actually just being a human being, you know, like sitting on the toilet without Facebook or like waiting in line somewhere without being entertained or taking a long time to walk somewhere. Um, These are natural pockets of silence and solitude. And I think those have evaporated in culture. So there's a sense for me in which, because there is some pushback, you know, about personality types and things. And I fully get that, you know, some people, but there's a a sense in which for me, this is a movement to re-grab our humanness Mm. And to become again what we're meant to be. And as we become human again, we're experiencing our limitations, the boredom of life, a little bit of silence and solitude. God sprouts up. It's just this natural thing. It's like, here he is. I'm I'm discovering him. So yeah, I think it's kind of profound. I think there's I think there's that too. But also, you know, the um the people are nervous of the word word contemplative. I mean, we're nervous of so many things. We're Christians. We've got to be afraid right. of everything. Like there right. is a heresy <laughs> hiding around every corner. You know, nothing could exactly. be worse than right. having an, an idea that's not mainstream. But um, when I think of my charismatic past, really my charismatic DNA is probably mm-hmm. how I feel about it. Um, I don't think that there is anything in in church tradition closer to the charismatic tradition of today as the mystics. Yeah, And the mystics, a, a mystic isn't someone who believes weird theology. Um, Christian mystics are people who just believe personal experience of God is fundamental to the gospel. Yeah, A Christian mystic is just all about we can experience God and we should experience God as the package of the gospel we've received from Jesus. Uh, and yet the, the Christian mystics are these hardcore Catholics in like the, you know, yeah. in the 12th century or Eastern Orthodox months in the 8th century. And, and when right. I read their theology, I was like, this is Pentecostalism 101. You know, yeah. these guys, are, <laughs> you know, they might be doing liturgy and taking Eucharist and, and living a vastly different life. But if they got up and preached in my Pentecostal church about their personal experience of God and what and their expectations of Christ in this life, right. they would be applauded. For and sure. I think for me... That's where this overlap happens is that strangely, by looking to our Orthodox and Catholic and Anglican brothers and sisters from the mystical tradition, we find this this deep rootedness for our charismatic Pentecostalism of the present to mm. just flourish. It's almost like its roots can go deeper and deeper so that that our experience of God can go higher and higher. And I just think, man, what a it feels like a renewal to me, like a, an yeah. open invitation to the charismatic church. To become more charismatic, I think that's kind of quite exciting. So, yeah, yeah. in your book, you writ you wrote a little bit about you know the Eucharist and your experience with taking yeah. Eucharist and the mindset change on that. And um, 
you know, for the longest time, it was like, oh no, that's not how it is. You know, that's weird to think that it's actually, you know, the the presence of God and the changing of it. I'm like, but the other stuff I believe is it seems a lot weirder than that would be, you know, yeah. like in, in the charismatic circles. I'm like, wow. I'm like, it was always like, well, yeah, God's present with me, but not really I'm ingesting, you know, mm. the flesh and the blood and then how he wrote it in here mm. was so beautifully put. I'm like, wow, I, I can get behind that. Yeah. Um, you know, I've taken Eucharist at my friend's church. Um, oh, cool. uh, you know, here's a cool story at my, my wife and I, we were in Colorado, went to this Catholic church, um, not for mass. It was after mass. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, uh, it was like this, it's tourism thing. This big church is built into the rocks there. And mm-hmm. we went up there, we walk in and it was like the presence of God was so thick. I just started mm-hmm. crying. My wife walks in wow. behind me. She starts like crying. And it's just was so like, wow. it was, it was, you, you couldn't speak. It was so mm-hmm. awe inspiring. And I, I was texting my friend about that. And he goes, man, I'm telling you the Eucharist is like, what does that the take, you know, the, mm. the gathering of the people that fully believe this together. And it just lingers mm. sometimes. And, mm. and so it really it, is what spun me on this journey, you know, is to be like, wow, mm. I want more of just sitting in his presence while still being active mm. in my life. Yeah. Oh, amazing, man. I mean, I just yeah. think, I think that, you know, if I think about, if I keep coming back to that charismatic heart of faith, presence of God experience, we get to, we, we so often get to choose what we apply that faith to, right? Mm. So for, for a long time, we applied our faith to the idea that someone can be so anointed that if they lay hands on you, you will fall over in right. the spirit. Now that's extra biblical, right? right? That's not, that's not theology based on New Testament experience. You know, right. um, we don't see the apostles walking around, placing their hands on people's foreheads and they're flying backwards. Right. Um, it's based on a revelation of the spirit in history. And then we get to apply our faith to that. And what I see in this moment is the invitation of the spirit to apply our faith to a whole new category mm. of expression of the Holy Spirit in, in the church, which is sacramentality, the idea that God moves and lives and, and exists through, uh, you know, liturgy and Eucharist and, Really, the only difference between what you're talking about and a dead a dead service where it's just bread and wine is us coming with faith, anticipating the presence of God, filling that meal in a in a powerful sacramental way, yeah. bringing our hearts and minds ready to encounter God there. And when we do that, miracles happen. Absolutely. And so I I think the irony is that there there is a skepticism amongst some Pentecostal charismatic communities around this movement towards contemplative tradition or church tradition as quote unquote dead religion. But it's only dead religion because we lack the faith to approach it with the with the divine hunger, the divine thirst. Right. And so what, what would happen if we thought, what, what would happen if in our prayer meetings, instead of we prayed that uh, we would have anointed human beings that would blow people over when we touch them, what if we prayed that we would have an anointed Eucharist, that people mm. would be physically healed or physically experience the power and presence of God wow. or have some kind of encounter or vision with him when they participate in the bread and wine? Wouldn't that be an even more incredible witness for someone right. walking into church to see, man, there is not a man at the center of this church. There is an incarnated Christ at the center of this church. Mm. There is a spirit. So I think that there's just a very exciting invitation to go, what if we just prayed different prayers? What if we had faith and, and expectation? Like One of my big ones is about silence. Like, mm-hmm. What if we had an expectation that we could get together and sit in silence like the Quakers did for half an hour? 
Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit and the vision of Christ would meet each person in their own need. Healing, yeah. prophecy, visions, forgiveness, rest, peace, stillness, and that the manifest presence of God would be in different forms and ways. And uh, I don't know why we can't have that, why right. it has to be a big a big concert with a big loud preacher on a Sunday morning for the Spirit to move. Why can't it be in some of these other other more historically traditional ways? Um, yeah. And I think history has shown us that God is very happy, very happy to move uh, manifestly through those practices. So yeah, um, I find that thrilling. Um, yeah. But I am a bit of a church geek, a kingdom geek. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Me too. I, yeah, everything you're saying there, I'm just like, I'm getting fired up here because I, you know, it's finding those, that group of people that, and I, you know, it's like, I'm seeing a lot of people that. I I was just talking to my friend about it this morning. We're seeing a lot of people have this deconstruction and mm. and a lot of them have been in a faith of the the especially in the western Christianity of of a very individualistic, you know, mm. gospel mm. and I'm going and this is the hype, this is the church Sunday without the actual, you know, encounter with God without the uh Mm. the joining of of uh community togetherness mm. uh and i and i'm seeing that more and more in, in my generation mm. and um and i think more people are starting to turn away and be like there's something a little bit off with some of this stuff and mm-hmm. you know we were just talking about like in my theology classes it was very it wasn't, we didn't hear, I didn't hear anything about early church leaders and, um, you know, the desert yeah. fathers or traditions or anything like that. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't essential to my teaching mm-hmm. until like mm-hmm. I was 25 and I started being like, wait, what's all this? You know, and, you know, yeah. and thinking to myself, reading it then, oh, this doesn't actually apply for some reason because it's, you know, and going through that personal journey of discovering like, wow, this is, this is real. The mystical mm-hmm. people, the, the, um, the traditions of the church that were that were mm. passed down that may have been twisted in some ways, but there's mm. coming to a wholeness of it that I think is is mm. changing in our generation. Yeah, and what a gift. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was actually. It probably was quite explicit. Mm. The Pentecostal narrative I received, and I'm not saying that everyone receives this or that it's the narrative that Pentecostals wish to propagate, but. Right. The kind of underlying idea that kept being repeated when I was younger was that basically the spirit was absent from the church until the early 1900s and Azusa Street. Yeah. And ever since then, it's been the age of the spirit. Yep. Um, and there's something deeply obnoxious and actually just historically ignorant about that. I hate yeah. to say it. Uh, and so I never learned church history because it was like, why would I go read dead guys who had no experience of God and didn't move in the gifts and the power of the spirit? I mean, what kind of arrogance that I had that I felt that way. And yet that really was the the, the doctrine I received from my charismatic background. Uh, and then I looked back and I'm reading St. Francis of Assisi mm. or I'm reading the third century Desert Fathers and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> These guys are talking about experiences of God that my Pentecostal pastor couldn't even even touch like right these guys are having visions and experiences of angels and demons and and of ecstatic blissful love with god yeah i mean it just blew my mind and then so i think i think what i feel now and and i had to find that out for myself much like you i mean i wish i was in my mid-20s when i found this stuff out i was like in my 30s mm. but I th- so i think what the spirit is doing now is just is 
as people are awakening to maybe some of the negative impacts of a church culture with that kind of mindset and they're looking back into the past, they there seems to be a hunger to say, okay, I have this charismatic heart and this desire. Mm-hmm. I'm reaching back into church history. And now I just feel like a bit of a religious orphan. Like I just, yeah. I don't know where I belong. Like I don't fit in this charismatic culture, not because I'm necessarily hated or against it or unthankful for it. It's just, it's just disjointed from this. But then when I go to my corner Anglican church or my corner Catholic church or my corner historical church, it's lacking the vitality and the expression. Mm. And there's just this whole group of people in the middle, I think, like us who are saying, where do I go? And part of, I wonder, we see this exodus from the church and have felt this and, you know, deconstruction and things. I actually think there's a lot of people looking for a home that just don't know how to find one yeah, uh, because we haven't built this middle ground enough of a charismatic contemplative expression or of a mystic expression of church. Mm. Um, because at least in my experience, the the traditional church isn't aware yet of this deep charismatic hunger that's outside its walls. And the charismatics come in and they're like, this is good, but there's no faith. And I right. have to admit, like, I walk into plenty Anglican church, plenty of Anglican churches in New Zealand with beautiful liturgy, and they, there's no anticipation of the mm. spirit's movement there. And you feel it. Yeah. So I, I think that there's just this beautiful opportunity for a replanting of the charismatic heart, of the mystic heart in the church, somehow in this marriage of tradition and the freshness and vitality of the spiritual life we've received over the last 150 years. Um but it's going to take some brave souls to pioneer that. I mean, it's amazing you've yeah. got a friend and have been to a charismatic Anglican community like that. I mean, yeah. that's that's the dream, really, if you ask me. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I do have a desire to pastor one day. And that's, you know, recently has just been like, how am I going to do this? <laughs> like, I, I grew up very charismatic. I understand, you know, I've been on staff at churches. I understand what that looks like and how to, how it functions. But at the same time, now I'm like experiencing this and you know, you, it's like, it's like, it's that, that feeling of like belonging. Like you just said, like, how, yeah. how am I going to either plant a church or, you know, Cohen and pastor church that needs it or, or whatever it looks, yeah. going to look like and wanting to bring this in gradually. And because mm. some people were like, wait, sit, sit in silence. Like that's, yeah. are you serious? Like, like that's unheard of. Yeah. And then and people are now coming to church 30 minutes late because they don't want to sit in silence because of the awkwardness. Yes. And, yeah, but you know, yeah. I think you just build upon it. But that's you know, it's there is a beauty to the marriage of it, like you said. Like, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to happen more and more, and we're going to see more and more uh, people start to lean in that way because mm-hmm. um, books like yours coming out, people are experiencing it in that way, and mm-hmm. and I think God's like it's so loud right now in yeah. the world, the sound pollution and all and all that. It's so loud. Mm-hmm. And I just want to meet with you, no other distraction. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and and he's doing it in, in incredible ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think we're articulating our desire a little mm-hmm. more than we had. I think I think not long ago we were just really impressed with charismatic preachers and mm. great big worship bands and you know, really well run concerts, aka you know, services on a Sunday, mm-hmm. we were satisfied with that. And I think for a while we kid ourselves that that was an experience of God. Yeah. And I think what's happened in these last little while, we've gone, well, 
these guys actually aren't really the heroes we want them to be. You know, a lot of the yeah. time they're like humility and grace and kindness and gentleness. I mean, not everyone. I'm not, I don't want to paint everyone with the same brush, but enough right. people have been through that space. Yeah. And we've gone, yeah, the music's great, but actually like those emotional experiences don't replicate to me waking up at 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning with my child screaming and, you know, whatever. So I think I think people are going, okay, now that's all good. And um, there's nothing inherently wrong or sinful or evil or whatever about any of that stuff. Right. But actually my desire is to be more, is more to cohabitate with God, is mm. to actually live an integrated life in which I'm experiencing him. And there's um, there's a passage in, in Numbers 12 where Moses and his sister Miriam are grumbling against Moses. They're like, we could do his job. You know, we should be, we should basically be like Moses. We're great. You know? Yeah. And and just out of the blue, God hears them and speaks. Yeah. And says, okay, meet me at the tent of meeting tomorrow. You, Miriam, Moses, tent of meeting, me, tomorrow. So they all go there. They're standing at the entrance. The glory of God comes down. And God says this amazing thing to, to Aaron. He says, Aaron, when I want to speak to a prophet in Israel, I come to them in visions and dreams and in parables mm -hmm. and in dark speech. But when I speak to my servant Moses, I speak to him face to face. Mm. as if one with a friend wow and i think that there's a lot of people in our generation at the moment going you know visions dreams miracles manifestation great but actually that's not my greatest desire my greatest desire is to speak with god as a friend not wow. the, the 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 glorious manifest god who's often a distance who does great tricks but the deep in my soul and my vulnerabilities and shame and guilt and my integrated life with my family and my workplace who I can come to as a friend and yeah. speak with face to face. And so yeah. I kind of see this enriching into beholding life as not a not a move away from the charismatic um, renewal, but almost a deepening of it, of its yeah. actual, or you might even say its continuation, its final destination. In other words, deepening an integrated, unceasing prayer life with God through beholding is the natural progression or the natural end point of the signs and wonders, which are all pointing to this face-to-faceness with God. And I think yeah. there's this awareness and awakening going on of like, yes, I love all that. I want to move in the gifts of the spirit. I want to prophesy. I want to see the sick healed because that's what Jesus did. Yeah. Um, but that's actually secondary to my deepest desire to have God meet me in my anxiety or yeah. my depression or my broken marriage or my terrible parenting or my, you know, my chronic sickness or I want to know him there. And to mm. me, that's that's actually that's the charismatic 2.0. It's not a neglect of it. It's not a turning away. It's actually a, a turning into. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You have a word in the book that's a New Zealand uh, word. Um, and I don't know how to pronounce it. I read it and, and I want to know if I pronounced it right. Uh, is, yeah. it, is it hungi or hungi or, uh, or hungi? Hungi. Yeah, hungi. You're okay. close. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> every time I read it in the book, I'm like, and I feel like I'm saying it wrong and I'm, I can't yeah. wait to ask you how to pronounce it. Hongi. Hongi. Yeah. Hongi. Awesome. And, and, um, and that word essentially um, explain, explain that. Cause I love how you wrote it in the book and what it, what it is. And... Yeah. So the Hongi is a, um, a tradition, a Maori tradition. So Maori are our um, indigenous people of Aotearoa. Mm -hmm. They, um, they are our first nations people and they have a tradition called the Hongi where, um, it's it's sort of a greeting in which you press noses together, and in this pressing of the nose, you're sort of 
intermingling your breath. Mm-hmm. And so you're creating a oneness, like a partnership, like an agreement. And it often includes you're going to put your arm around someone's shoulder and you and you hongi them. Now, this is terrifying. I yeah. mean, usually uh, you are honging someone you've never met. They just walk up to you, boof. And I mean, you're basically kissing them in many ways. It's, a, yeah. it's pretty intimate. Um, and yet often you are hongi when you are um, being welcomed onto a marae, which is a Maori meeting place. And it's a way of them saying, you are now, for all intents and purposes, one of us. Mm-hmm. You can be on our land. You can enjoy our food. Not to take advantage of, but as, a, as an invitation. And so in the book, I explore um, our relationship with God through the paradigm of Hongi. And I go back to Genesis and look at, actually, when God made us, it can read like a Hongi. We have this... Yeah piece of dust and dirt and God lays down. He puts his knees on our knees, his chest on our knees, spreads his arms out across our arms until eventually his nose is pressed against our nose. And it says he breathed life into us Mm. and we became a living being. And I kind of see this moment as a divine hongi, as God saying, I am covenanting my love with you. And when we wake up, we see the world through divine hongi. We see God close. He's not over there or there. We see creation. We're welcomed into creation as God's yeah. sort of marae, so to speak. And so um, I, I spend a lot of time. I think part of the reason we don't feel intimacy with God is that we have a, a theology, a synopsist theology, mm-hmm. uh, a synopsist gospel. And yet um, Genesis, the original creation account, and, and this intimacy would suggest that God wants to move beyond sin obsession into a deep reconciled friendship. Uh, and Hongi is a beautiful way, I think, of looking at our lives and saying, how do I live this life in divine Hongi with God, this divine friendship and welcome? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I explore that in the book. Wow. Yeah. It, it was, it's just beautiful. Like the picture of it mm-hmm. and, you know, like it's, it's that face to face you're, you were saying with Moses and, and yeah. God too. And it's funny because, um, I was creating shirts for my youth group once and, and, you know, the youth today really love Japanese inspired things. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was, I, I was trying to do the word encounter in Japanese and, mm-hmm. uh, they don't have the word encounter in, in Japanese. They don't have a word for it, but right. what it translated to was face to face. And that being like the encounter that um, it was so like I translated encounter to Japanese and Japanese back to English and it came back to English mm. face to face. And mm. I just thought that was it was it's just beautiful. Like and that's really what it is. It's like when you come face to face, like mm. like that close with somebody so you are encountering them, everything, you know, you know, yeah. the breath you're sharing. And and it's just yeah. I love that. Oh, I mean, it's a, it's an astounding vision. Yeah, I mean, the, the gospel isn't that we become acquaintances with God. Mm. The gospel is that we get caught up into the actual life of the Trinity himself, Yeah, that we become intermingled with God. Think sex, but 100% of the time in perfect bliss and intimacy, but mm. with God. I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like that kind of deep level connection and... um that's why for me prayer you know when i think of prayer when i think of divine hongi i'm thinking about a total intermingling with the spirit of god in every part of my life yeah you know jesus said if you obey my commandments my father and i will come to you and we'll make our home in you mm. so the gospel isn't just that god forgives me and when i feel shame i can go to him and have it replaced with goodness the gospel is that 
all the time, I am now the home of God. Yeah. And that is not some static theological re- reality. That is a dynamic, um, intermingled, personal engagement with Father, Spirit, and Son. Yeah. Um, so that I am literally becoming, you know, p- what does Peter say? Peter says that we get to participate in the divine nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, think about that for a moment, to yeah. participate in the divine nature. And so I think, I think it makes prayer, I think it makes, you know, what we mean by face-to-faceness with God, something so so much more embodied, so much more digested, so much more permanent. Mm. Um, and it changes, I think, prayer from this idea of conscious mental dialogue to integration. Yeah. Um, much like we integrate in marriage and it's it, we become one flesh. Yeah. We have become one flesh with God um, by grace. And so what does that mean? What does that mean for prayer? It means an existence in God is the point, which actually means things like silence and stillness and solitude rise to the top of our um, practical values. Yeah. Because actually it's in, it's often in silence that that intermingling, that that cohabitation is accentuated and becomes dynamic and is felt and leads to to personal transformation. Wow. And uh, man, I just wish I'd got that gospel so long ago um, yeah. because that's not the gospel I got. The gospel I got was, you know, God cares so much about sin. He sent Jesus to save you. And every time you pray to Jesus, he'll forgive your sin. What, what about what next? Then yeah. what? Okay, yeah. I've got my sin forgiven. I've got nowhere to go. Like, right. all right, see you, God. I'll catch up with you next time I do something wrong. I mean, it's yeah. just so reductive and so disappointing. And you wonder why Christians aren't alive and full of zeal and passion and energy and joy. No one's ever told them that after that comes a deep, enriched, passionate intermingling yeah. with God that changes your whole being. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think from from my life i saw god as a you know jesus was a screen between me and god and mm. i was only looked good in god's eyes because um i would ask for forgiveness and uh mm. what jesus did and i never really had a relationship with fullness of the trinity you know i had holy mm. spirit and i had jesus who died mm. on the cross and rose from my sin but god was distant and angry and mm. and only loving me because he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us. And yeah. reality was, you know, we had, you know, the, the thought of that is I have value because of the, because of the cross. And now I teach, yeah. no, you have the cross happened because you had value to God. Mm. He val- he mm. loved you so much. Like, and for mm. some reason we read that and we don't believe, like we don't believe it that way. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and that was radical for my life and my relationship with God. And, the yeah. trinitarian life and the paraclesis and the div- divine dance of that mm. was just it all mm. just was it, it changed my life like three four years ago like and all Man, of a sudden I'm like amazing. wow it just started turning into this whole new view of it and i love what you say in the book it's it's you say something like you know he came for the forgiveness of sins yes but it goes much further back than that he came for yeah. union with us yeah yeah oh yeah I mean, saying that the, the primary purpose of the cross was to forgive our sin, to me, is the same as saying the primary purpose of marriage is to run a good household. Yeah. It is, it's not that it's not true. It's just not the great truth. Right. And, and the New Testament uses the language reconciliation, mm. that um, through Christ, we have been reconciled. Now, forgiveness, we can understand as clearing the slate. Mm-hmm. But reconciliation is the restoration of friendship. 
So reconciliation is to the gospel what romance is to marriage. Wow. What what friendship, what union, what sexuality is to marriage. Um, So the gospel isn't Jesus came to die for your sins so that you could be forgiven. The gospel is Jesus came to engulf you into himself. Mm. And the way he did that was by dealing with the biggest issue of separation we experienced so that we could be intermingled with God, wow. which was always the point. It was yeah. always the point. Always. Long before the fall, God had a plan. Yeah. And the plan was to integrate humanity into the Trinity. Yeah. Now, we sinned. We, we walked that plan. So Christ addressed it. But that doesn't make it the main point. My beef is that when it comes to prayer, most people don't pray because they feel shame, guilt, exhaustion, and they think that prayer is primarily about begging or groveling or seeing God as angry. Yeah. And if God is angry with us, we can never have a fundamentally beautiful relationship with him. If that's yeah. the God we believe, it's game over. Basically, we can live at best a moderate spiritual life until the day we die. But we will never be the kinds of person Jesus was that made the gospel attractive and beautiful and wonderful. Mm. So I, I just think, I think we we've done a disservice in you know I would say maybe evangelicalism, but really you know Protestantism in general, but evangelicalism by just making sin all we talk about. Yeah, we've done a disservice to people. Um, yeah, and we've 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 belittled the gospel. Yeah, and so we have to, in my opinion remove the sin-centered gospel and replace it with a reconciliation-centered gospel, which, by the way, we cannot be reconciled to God. And that same scripture that says we've been reconciled to Christ says he made peace with us through his blood. In other words, Mm -hmm. he dealt with the sin issue. There's no denying that. Anybody who says we don't sin is not in God, according to the Apostle John, right? Right. So there's none of that. Don't hear that. It's not good to hear us heretical about it. Right, but if 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 we don't move on to reconciliation, we, we've missed it completely. Missed it absolutely, and I think that's where we've been for a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and, I, and that's I think one of the number one reasons why people don't know how to pray. Um, yeah, because their entire prayer life has been the sinner's prayer, and that's how that's all it is. The rest of their life is, you know, forgive me for this. I did this, and then. Mm. Um, you know, and that's the prayer. It's the transactional, you know, like going to God, like, Hey, I did this and this, and will you forgive yeah. me? Yes. I forgave you 2000 years ago. You know, on the, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you're yeah. forgiven. And, um, well, you, you write it. It's not a conversation. You start you joining in on a conversation that's happening yeah. amongst the Trinity already. Yeah. And I love mm. that language because it makes it so simple where, Oh, I, I actually can just, you know, you know, you sometimes you see your friends on the playground growing up. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just circling about to start hide and seek or something. You jump yep. in like, hey, what are we talking about? You know, and that's yeah. how that's how I've been, you know, ever since I started reading your book these past like mm. two weeks, I've been like, Hey, what are we talking about? That's how I've been starting my yeah. prayers. Cool, man. And it oh, has been so amazing good. the things that Jesus has been revealing to me and his heart for yeah. me and what he wants and desires for my wife and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, I've I've always felt like I've been prophetic. I've had a prophetic uh, voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, it's like it feels more enhanced now in my life. And it's just yeah, cool. this constant awe and wonder. Um, and yeah. It's, it's just been that's beautiful man wonderful yeah yeah i mean I, I think a servant asks god what do you want me to do and i think a lot mm-hmm. of that's a lot of people's prayer thing is what do you want from me what do you want me to do mm-hmm. but a friend says 
what's on your heart today? Mm. And it's a completely different presupposition. One presupposition is that God is most interested in working with us and getting us to do things. The other thing is God is most interested in being known by us and sharing his heart. Yeah. And that's all prophecy is. Prophecy is taking what God is thinking about and desires and sharing it with others. And I love that image of, you know, playing hide and seek, you know. Yeah. Here's another one. I mean, prayer is turning up to God's house. You open the door, you walk in, and there's Father, Spirit, and Son with already an empty bottle of wine and another one halfway mm. drunk, a massive roast meal, dessert, and they are laughing. They yeah. are laughing wow. like deep belly laughs back in their chair. And you walk into the room and you see them and they turn around and they say, Josiah, man, come sit with us. Just, you got to hear the story. You know, you got to like, this is a classic. Mm. And you just join in, they pour your glass of wine and you just talk all night. Wow. That's prayer. That's the gospel. Yeah. That's the kingdom of heaven. That's the whole point of Song of Songs. It's the whole marriage metaphor, the whole wine metaphor, the abiding. It is to have this late night party with Trinity and to live that within us. That's why the greatest theology is joy. Yeah. Perfect theology is joy mm. um, because it's just that unadulterated expression of Trinity in our hearts and minds. And so, um, man, if, if that is your vision of prayer, prayer will quickly become the center of your entire desire and existence. If you think it's possible mm. to, in your life, to find pleasure, not in alcohol or sugar or sex or career or money or relationship, but in that kind of experience of God, you will be wrecked. The church will be wrecked. You will never be the same. You will pursue him with all of your being for the rest of your life like I have and I will. Um, mm -hmm. because you realize that it's true. It's yeah. not a fantasy. It's true, which yeah. is why they called Jesus a drunkard, because he partied with his friends. Yeah. And it was good and fun. Right. That's prayer. That's what joining the conversation of prayer is, is simply turning up and saying, can I join in? Yeah. <laughs> can you pour me one? You know, can you yeah. make me a plate? I'm in. I'm here, God. Like, what are you talking about? What's on your yeah. mind? What's, what's on your heart? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. Love it all. It's, it's funny. My first ex experience with silence, you'll get a kick out of this. Someone invited yeah. me to a, um, a Buddhist meditation. So I was like, sure, why not? Like, let, let's go check this out. And, uh, and I've done, I've, you know, studied world religion and stuff like that. And it was very new agey, um, uh, Buddhist meditation. And, mm -hmm. uh, it was like a church service. They did announcements. There was, uh, um, you know, a little pre-service gathering thing go in and then it was just silence. And, mm -hmm. and I, oh, I hated it. I was like the first experience <laughs> of it. I was like, this is an hour of not, not speaking. Yeah. And it's I started getting time. a headache and I'm like, there's probably some spiritual things going on here. Like, I'm like, yep. well, okay, God, I'm just going to focus on you. And like, and it was, a, it was a long time. And then they, you know, then they ended and there was announcements about different things happening, a potluck and stuff like that. Like, oh, this is like church. Um, and, uh, looking back on that now, I'm like, wow, there's so much of the world that gets this before Christians even do to get the, like yeah. something about being that silence. And, mm. um, I, I forget who quoted it. Somebody said it once that, um, you know, just because, um, uh, you know, Muslims eat breakfast doesn't mean 
it's a bad idea, you know, like mm. the silence and the meditation, like people think like, oh, that's, that's new agey and stuff like that. And they know like Jesus, Jesus did it all the time. He went away to be alone with his father mm. all the mm. time, especially when he was mm. tired after a moment and stuff like that. And, yeah. um, and I just, I think it's how, how would you explain, um, as we're coming to a close on this podcast, how would you explain to somebody who's just starting out? It's like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go to a Buddhist silence thing, maybe a monastery or something mm. for like a day and uh, just not speak or something. But for you, how would how mm. would you explain to somebody who's like, okay, I want to have a more of a silent life, a, a prayer life, mm. or what would that look like? Yeah, so it's a good question. I, I think silence for me has always been the doorway to stillness. Mm. And stillness is very, you know, ancient in our faith, God says, you know, be still, be still and know that I am God. And and what's that invitation? That invitation is to just center and focus ourselves on the godness of God, mm -hmm. on the goodness and truth and beauty. So what silence does is it's a way of focusing and filtering our being, not on emptying ourselves out. A lot of people think, okay, so the point of silence is to have no thoughts. That's actually not true. The point of silence is to focus our thought on Christ, on God, yeah. to behold him, to experience him. And so the first thing to know about silence is that it takes a lot of practice. And at first, it's overwhelming and horrifying, kind of like your first hour. you know. Yeah. Because what happens when we go silent is we realize that there is a lot of voice, a lot of anxiety, a lot of noise within us. It's like a detoxification period. It's like if you go stone cold off coffee, you're going to have a migraine for five days if, you, if oh, yeah. you drink a lot of coffee, you know. So silence is like a spiritual migraine over our denial of noise within ourselves. So when you first start silence, it's like, whoa, this is crazy. I've got anxiety. I've got overwhelm. I've got, you know, whatever. If you push through that, what you find is that you can, you can come to a stillness in all of that before God. You can mm -hmm. learn to accept it embody it, embrace it, and say, you know, these things are here, Father, but I'm focusing on you. So you're practicing setting your mind on God, and a stillness will come. So to practice silence is to take, you could take five minutes in a day and just sit with your palms open on your hands. You know, when lawyers teach people on the stand when they're witnessing and the witness box to have their palms open because mm -hmm. apparently it's harder for us to lie. Wow. It makes us more open. Palms on your hands, close your eyes. And every time you feel your mind wander, just say Jesus to bring your focus back. Jesus, it might be a hundred times a minute. Just Jesus. Je and when you say Jesus, imagine his presence and person of goodness and kindness just filling you up. And as you practice that, you'll find that a stillness comes to your heart mm. that then is carried into your day. And suddenly you can return there on your lunch break and before bed. And all of a sudden, you are being still before God always, which doesn't mean being empty. It doesn't mean lacking passion. It doesn't mean being ignorant. It just means living in the stillness of the kingdom of heaven, which is God's presence within us. It's unceasing prayer. So that's what I'd say. Like silence isn't about self-emptying. Silence is about God filling. There's a big mm. difference. The beauty that's of the good. Christian gospel to me is that God redeemed our bodies. There is nothing wrong with our bodies. There is nothing wrong with our mind. The New Testament language for flesh actually refers to the fallen human nature, not the body. The word sarks, fallen human nature, the deadly nature. So we've got to, we've got to see the body as a good. 
We've got to see the mind is good. We've got to see our thoughts is good. So silence is actually about tuning that into God, not pushing it away. Secondly, just take five minutes a day, focus on God, say Jesus when your mind wanders and imagine him filling with your presence. And then thirdly, remember silence is a doorway to stillness. Mm-hmm. Like the point isn't just to be quiet. The point is to be filled with the stillness of God. Um, second Peter, uh, 1 Peter 3.3 3 talks about um, having a beauty that comes from an inner quietness and inner beauty before God. That's what we're looking for, inner yeah. quietness and inner beauty. Um, and by the way, it was practiced by the church as early as the second and third century. So we haven't borrowed it. It's just right. actually that because of the enlightenment, we gave it up for 400 years. Wow. Um, and now that we're coming back to it, we feel like it's someone else's idea, but actually it's not. It's our right. idea. Yeah. Wow. Love that. So where can uh, people find you and uh, buy your books? You have three three prayer volumes too that uh, yeah. I plan on buying at least next week. I, that's when I oh, plan on buying amazing. them. So I'm excited to get through those and just have it on our table and moments and stuff. So, yeah. 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 So um, go to commonerscommunion.com. You'll find my prayer books there. Um, the prayer books are little devotions with poetry and things to, to really like, honestly, they probably take a couple of minutes to read a page in the morning and hopefully just launch you into your own dialogue with God. Um, awesome. So I have three of those. I have written a book called Beholding, which is sort of the life and story behind how I learned to sort of gaze lovingly into God as he gazes lovingly back into me as a form mm-hmm. of unceasing prayer and sort of the theology and the life of that and some practical stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can, f- and you'll find that anywhere, Amazon and, you know, wherever. And um, I actually have an associated podcast with that called the beholding prayer podcast where I have, I do some guided meditations. So if you're like, I don't know where to start to practice this. Um, you can go, Go onto that podcast and you'll hear me actually just guiding you step through step for about mm. seven or eight minutes just in praying with God in that way. So you'll find that anywhere podcasts are as well. So, yeah. Awesome. That's I actually good. listened. I, I was listening through that this week um, oh, cool. after my workouts in the sauna. And that oh, was, nice. that was it was just powerful. I'm just there, arms, your hands open like you're saying and yeah, just wow. like <laughs> sweating. Um, so it's, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm kind of focusing on the fact that I'm sweating, but too, but like, it was just, it was just really awesome. Like those are, and that is a good way to start You're right. Like those guided meditations yeah. is beautiful. And you also have cool. music anywhere you can stream music, which is, oh yeah. I keep forgetting I'm a musician. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your, yeah, you your music's music incredible. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, under yeah, just strong, you. just your first name, strong. And just it's, under my first name. Yep. And yeah. Love, love your, love your music, love your lyrics. Thank and, you. Yeah. Thank you. It's incredible. So thank you so much for uh, being on here. And uh, I hope to come yeah. to New Zealand at some point in my life. It's been a bucket list ever since yeah. Lord of the Rings, you know? So, oh man, come on over. You and I know so you guys welcome. have a lot have more a than you have a lot more than hobbiton so yeah yeah there's uh yeah true, although hobbiton is very cool yeah yeah i'm i plan on plan on doing it. i love coffee i was a barista for five years oh. um so i have my whole setup yeah sweet be great Beautiful. so i'll let you know when Come i'm coming over. out so sounds great man awesome. i'm in i'm down awesome. for a coffee awesome well thank you so much and uh hope to have you on again thanks man thank you